One of the major reasons our world finds itself in such a painful mess is because God's people have allowed the world to define what is normal for society. This sad fact is extremely apparent as related to the institution of marriage. Listen in today as Pastor Rander continues to speak about this matter in the message, Misconceptions in Marriage. He'll begin our discussion in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse number 32. Have your Bibles, turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, which is our text for this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And there are these words, my friends. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. This in the this is the final series in this message on marriage, uh, entitled once again, Warning Signs of a Marriage That is in Trouble. Warning Signs of a Marriage that is in trouble. My friends, do not think for one moment that your marriage is so strong that it cannot fail. Satan wants your marriage as much now as he did when you first said, I do. And there is no such thing as a trouble-free marriage. All marriages have problems, difficulties, and issues that arise because the world, the flesh, and the devil will surely see to that. And with that being said, there are glaring warning signs that indicate that a marriage is in trouble, and we want to address some of those at this particular time. What are the warning signs for a marriage that is in trouble? Number one, when there is constant bickering and fighting over money in the marriage. When there is constant bickering and fighting over money in the marriage. It's selfishness uh, that causes uh, couples to fight over money, a uh, lack of self-discipline. One spouse is just an impulsive, free spender, spend all kinds of money, don't check in with their spouse simply because they feel like they've earned the money. They don't need anybody speaking wisdom into what you've earned. And uh, you forget that you're one flesh, and it is critical that we operate in a spirit of oneness uh, when... Uh, it comes to financial decisions. People bicker and fight because of financial irresponsibility, and, uh, and they just fight, fight, fight over money. Conflict over money is one of the primary reasons for divorce. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The second reason for knowing that your marriage is in trouble is when there is a continual breakdown in communication. You see, my friends, communication breaks down when there is an inability to be quiet and earnestly listen from the heart to what your spouse is saying. Both of you can't talk at the same time. Someone has to be quiet, close their mouths, and just listen from the heart as to what is being said by your spouse. And... Um, you need not be talking at each other. You need to be talking to each other in the spirit. And the spirit will help you communicate in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and edifying to your spouse. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, be quick to hear. Well, we're all quick to talk. We got to put our two cents in. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Don't be so quick to get mad, get angry, jump to conclusion. 
create assumptions that may not be true. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The third way you can know that your marriage is in trouble, thirdly, is when one spouse dominates the conversation and deliberately refuses to give the other spouse an opportunity to speak. In other words, they talk, 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 talk. It's a monologue, not a dialogue. One person do all the talking, and then when you, when that person finished talking, they don't really want to hear what the spouse had to say, so they'll just immediately walk out the room or busy themselves as if your input has no value. And that's, that's very, very insensitive. Once you finish speaking, don't start walking away because you said what you have to say. Be still, look the person, look your wife or husband in the eye, talk lovingly and uh, gently and carefully in the spirit. Oftentimes when we upset, we say things we wish we could get back. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And if you don't want to hear what your spouse has to say, then you are not seeking the highest good or the interests of your spouse. Fourthly, when communication breaks down because one spouse focuses on what they're going to say in response while the other is still speaking. In other words, while one spouse is speaking, you're not listening to anything they're saying because you're so busy trying to load up for your comeback statements. And that is not good. That is not healthy. Stop trying to conjure up your own statements of defense and listen from the heart to what your spouse is is saying. Uh, that's very, very critical. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Listen and let everything run its course speaking wise from your spouse. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Uh, you answering and making statements before the person can even uh, get the words out of their mouths. The fifth way you know your marriage is in trouble is when there is little to no sexual intimacy. When there's little to no sexual intimacy, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5 says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Your bodies belong to one another as unto the Lord. You can't uh, go on strike in your sexuality. Uh, that That is not godly. You cannot bargain with your sexuality. In other words, he has to earn, he or she has to earn brownie points before they get anything. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. In other words, well, when you want to abstain, it ought to be in agreement with both husband and wife and not one person coming to that conclusion and the other person is left out in the cold sexually because there were no understand there was no understanding prior to. Afterwards, you should come. The scripture says you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Going prolonged periods of time without sexual intimacy gives Satan a tremendous foothold in your marriage. My friends, one of the strategies of Satan is to tempt you to have sex before marriage. I can't wait, can't wait, got to try it. Can't wait, can't wait, I'm burning. And then after you get married, 
Satan, he changes his strategy and then he tempts you to deny your spouse sex in marriage. You know, he changes his strategy and his goal is to destroy your marriage and he will do it in the area of sexuality. Number six, the sixth way you know your marriage is in trouble. That was all review. Now we are going to settle down and slow down for insights for this week. You know your marriage is in trouble when pride and selfishness keep you from humbling and denying yourself. When pride and selfishness keeps you from humbling and denying yourself for the sake of your spouse and the good of your family. Pride is a great destroyer of the family. Woman, you can't tell me what to do. I'm grown. Well, we know that. It's a terrible thing when the only time you're happy as a spouse, when you have it your way. And that's not good. That's not healthy. And that's not a healthy, well-balanced marriage. You need to be able to compromise. You need to be able to negotiate. And sometimes you need to yield for the sake of your spouse. Even if you don't want to do it, you do it for the good of your spouse because that's what they enjoy as long as it's healthy and not sin. So selfishness kills a marriage. It destroys a marriage. It puts the marriage in regression. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, you are elect of God, you belong to God, holy. Now, if you're holy, you won't be prideful. If you're prideful, then you're not living holy. And beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, be kind, speak kindly to one another, uh, speak in humility, giving soft answers, speak in meekness, power under control, because if you don't control that tongue, it'll wipe your spouse out, it'll wipe your family out. Humility cultivates a wonderful atmospheric environment. Marriage is the world's oldest institution established by God for our benefit and yet is entered into by most with unrealistic expectations. Join us today as Pastor Rander continues the series, God's Gift of Marriage and the Destructive Culture, with this message, Misconceptions in Marriage. He'll be teaching from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse number 32. Meekness and long-suffering, that's patience. you got to be patient in your marriage, especially when you first get married. And then even when you've been married for 40 years, you got to be patient because you start getting old and cranky. And so you got, you, you got to be patient on the front end. You got to be patient on the back end. Some one spouse always forgetting and other things happened and can't move like you think they ought to move and all of that and can't, can't do things the way they used to do it. As you grow older, your patience needs to be growing too. You can't be impatient with your spouse. Learn to wait, hush up and give God room to work. You know, stop hurrying your spouse. Take your time. Don't be pushy. Don't be pushy. Just push, 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 push. You push your spouse into stress. Don't stress your spouse out. Don't stress your children out. Know when to back off. If they're struggling in their academics, uh, learn how to, to make learning fun. Edify them. Encourage them. Let them know they can do it. And you'll help them find a way to get it done. But we are not going to self-defeat, you know. And that's that's so helpful in the context of marriage. Uh, one of my grandsons was, well, I was teaching him his Christmas speech. And then he was struggling a little bit. And he was putting his head down because he really didn't want to do it. And because he was just going to get the things all lined up. 
And then I just said, well, you know what, let's, let's, and then he got the first few lines. I said, great, first two words, great. He only said two words. I'm saying great. You got those two. I didn't wait for Phil. So just great. And then I turned around and then I started, I, I created a song out the verse. And then I started singing the verse in my own tune because people memorize, so I said, go on, pastor, because kids memorize through singing. They do. They remember. So I'm just creating a tune of my own to the, the Christmas speech so that he could grasp it. And then I, I, I then he looked, looked up and perked up. And then I transitioned and then I started rapping the verse. And I rapped. Then he looked at me. He said, Paul, Paul, you cannot rap. <laughs> so I started. But that guy is a t- I started rapping the verse. Because, you know, that's of interest to kids. And so I found myself, I was, I was transitioning from one thing to another to keep them perky, to keep them interested, to keep them engaged. Make learning fun. Don't threaten them. And if you can't get it this time, I'm going to put you in a timeout chair. Don't be so quick to do, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Love is what? Patient. Uh, number seven, you know your marriage is in trouble when a spouse's personal needs are being fulfilled more from sources outside the marriage than from within the marriage. When a spouse's personal needs are being fulfilled more from sources outside the marriage than from within the marriage. When you're happy that you're away from home and you're happy that you are doing your thing away from the home, away from your spouse, that's a sign of problems. First Corinthians chapter seven, verses 33 through 34 says, but he who is married cares about the things of the world. In other words, you got to think about the job, the washing, the cooking, the cleaning, the homework. You got to think about uh, all the marital things that you have to do, the tray, all those things, uh, how he may please his wife, because you're married. You can't hang out with the boys when you got a wife. I'm not saying you can't ever go out with the boys. That's the other side. But that can't be every week you got to go out and hang with the guys or hang with the frat brothers or whomever. In verse 34, there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. You see, and it says, uh, the un- what's the difference? The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord. You know, she can be a missionary. She can move wherever she wants. Uh, she can take a job anywhere. She don't have to check in with her husband. She's not married. And so she has that freedom. If you want that kind of freedom, don't get married. You are free to be single. Enjoy your singleness as unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's better happily single than miserably married. A whole lot of folk married right now wish they had not married. That's right. So, so realize with a husband, with a wife comes responsibility. Say responsibility. They have a right to ask you where you've been and where you're going and these kinds of things. And because you are accountable to one another. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world. You got children and you got husband to take care of and look after and minister to and all of that and vice versa for him to her, how she may please her husband. When a spouse finds more pleasure in 
their job, their career, just gone all the time. And then when you come home, you jump on the computer and you just there all the time. You come home, you tired. You don't have nothing to offer anybody. It, all you can see is sleep. How come it's so quiet in here now? Okay. You, you just come in tired. You can't even pick up a pot. Uh, so when a spouse finds more pleasure in their career and their co-workers, I mean, hey, I'm going out with the girls. I'm going out with the boys. Our company is having this. And you're always going and going with the girls or with the guys, hanging out with your friends more than your your spouse. Your spouse, by the way, ought to be your best friend. Uh, you're hanging out with your parents. I'm going to mama's house, especially if they live in town. Mama, 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 mama. Daddy, 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 daddy. Mama, daddy, daddy, mama. Hold it. Sometimes you need to move out of town. <laughs> That's right. You have to move out of town because you, so that mama can only come over at Christmas and Thanksgiving, you know? Uh, nothing wrong with it. But sometimes parents can get in the way and kids need to adventure with God. Uh, sometimes you allow your children to become more of a friend than your spouse. Your whole life is wrapped around your children, 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 and your whole dreams, you're infatuated. You're just children, children, children. And it's all right, but you know what? You can make a God out of your children. That is possible. You, all your interests, all your, and then they come back and they hurt your heart. Sometimes they, they hurt your heart. They say some of the coldest after you've done all for them, and, they, and then they walk off uh, a power to get sassy or they forget all the things you have done. Listen, when you have children, you better still cultivate your relationship with your husband and wife. One day those children are going to be gone and then all y'all going to do is sit there and y'all going to look at each other and then you're saying, who are you? <laughs> well, they've been there all alone, but your, the children have just taken your whole life, your whole life. One day they will leave the house, hopefully. <laughs> Okay, okay. Then hobbies. You enjoy your hobbies. You're out there golfing and bowling, bowling, and you're with some, this club and that club and all the things you enjoy, your social life, but it doesn't include your spouse. Or you're, on, you're engaged in social media. You come home, you, you're at home, but your heart is all wrapped up, tied up in social media. You go from Facebook to Twitter to this account to emails to texting. To, you just, it's a whole cycle. And then you just, you, you make yourself drunk on social media and your spouse is left out in the cold and that troubles the marriage. How do you know when your marriage is in trouble? Number eight, when one spouse puts up a wall and becomes callous toward the other. You know your marriage is really in trouble. When one spouse puts up a wall and becomes callous toward the other. In other words, you just don't care anymore. I don't care. I don't care what you do. Just, just, you just don't care. You don't say nothing. You don't put nothing in it. You don't invest in it. And you, there's a wall there, and it's so evident from your body language to your spirit and your attitude. And you're in serious trouble when you don't, you don't care. Well, I don't care what he does or what she does. It just doesn't matter anymore. And you come, there's a hardness, and you become harder and harder and harder. Romans 12.10 says, love each other with genuine affection. You know, and love is not hard. Love is not callous. 
Love is not mean-spirited. And take delight in honoring one another. When you're callous toward your spouse, you are not honoring him or her. 1 Corinthians 13, 4a, verse 5 says, love suffers long and is kind. Is kind. Kind. My wife was struggling with some pictures and doing some things, and she was trying to get my input, and I couldn't help her one bit because I didn't, I didn't know about that too much. And I just said, well, honey, I pray that God works it out for you. And she just said, thank you very much. I didn't know. She didn't know. I said, I pray that God somehow work it out. Say something sensitive. No, Say something. I could have said, well, I'm studying my sermon. Can't you choose another time? You know, that's insensitive. And that is not kind. Not kind. So love suffers long and is kind. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not about you. It's not provoked. You don't provoke or agitate your spouse. You don't provoke or agitate your children. You don't exasperate them. Uh, love doesn't do this. Don't provoke. Uh, don't raise the tension level in the home, the emotional level. And then love thinks no evil. Say thinks no evil. Sometimes you do bad towards your spouses because you've been thinking bad toward them. Ask the Lord to change your heart and attitude toward your spouse if your thinking is not right. Ask the Lord to change your heart and attitude towards your spouse. You know, I, say, I don't love him no more. People come out of office, I say, oh, really? I say, how did you love him before? Because I wanted to. I say, well, want to again. Move your stubborn will out the way and choose to love him or her again. Love is an active choice. You choose to love. You choose to hate. So, so listen, husbands and wives, uh, don't be difficult or hard to live with. You're nice to everybody else at the house, in the church, you're smiling, and you're singing in the choir, and you're shaking hands, and you're hugging, and, and all that kind of stuff, and you go home, and you're so short, and you're so difficult, and some of you are just downright mean. You have a crushing a spirit about you that crushes folk. Don't be hard or difficult to live with. I mean, that's, it's hell enough dealing with life issues outside the house than to come home and have a cantankerous spouse that is so mean, harsh, insensitive, and difficult to live with. That's why some spouses don't want to come home because you're just hard to live with. They get along better with the people on the job than in the house. Don't be difficult to live with. Love is an act of your will uh, through the Holy Spirit's power. You must take delight in honoring each other with genuine affection. Be patient with one another. Uh, have selfless, sacrificial love that gives of yourself to one another. And godly thoughts. Say godly thoughts. Godly thoughts. Say it again. Say it again. Godly thoughts which keeps us from thinking evil toward our spouse. You know very well when a thought you're thinking is ungodly. You can't tell me you haven't had an ungodly thought about your spouse. And I'm so glad you don't say everything you think. Don't. 
Okay? Don't. Even if it stayed a moment too long in your heart, still don't say it. If it's not of God, ask God to dismiss it. Take that thought with the Holy Spirit's power captive to the obedience of Christ, lest that thought turns into an action. So stop thinking ungodly toward your spouse because really you're thinking ungodly about yourself because you're one flesh. You are one flesh. So you're talking about you. The two of you have become one. You see, love thinks no evil. Not just in the context of marriage, a context of other members of the church, somebody that's wronged you, offended you, or your neighbor, or your child. Uh, you thinking evil because of all you invested in them and now and you get little return on what you've given to your children. Uh, perhaps a relative, a sister, an in-law, or whatever, a sibling. Don't think evil. You know, don't don't think you by the way, don't think as a racist or uh, being prejudiced and all these kinds of things. Uh, that 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 is of the devil. God made us all. I see all these couples and interracial couples and blacks and whites and Hispanics. That's a picture of heaven on earth. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for diversity. Green and yellow, black and white, they are precious in God's sight. Jesus loves the people of this world. Don't see people through the lens of color. See people as people who need the Lord and who needs to be ministered to. And and God put those persons in your life for you to touch them with Christ's likeness. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit www.maranathasa.org where you will find an archive of audio messages, service times, directions to the church, upcoming events, and much more. You can also reach us at 210-821-5683. Maranatha Bible Church is located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas, 78109, directly across from Randolph Air Force Base.